In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry-leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us. Faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to talk about it outdoors, boys, and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy of Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does, he exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life, as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed the Seed located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs, with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that'll make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Cruiser Saddle Studio. We've got an amazing guest here with us tonight, Mr. Andy Morgan from up in Dayton, Tennessee, one of the South's own MLF superstar and just an all-around good old boys joined us for a talk around all things in the outdoors, including deer hunting and Nicholas's favorite topic, fishing. We might get on a little turkey hunting, no telling what rabbit hole we're going to go down. Y'all pull up a chair and set a while. This is going to be a good one. Nicholas, the weather's hot in Georgia, son. It's burning up like the devil's on the roof, son. What do you think about it? Let me tell you, buddy. This this episode's going to be uh, brought to you by H2O because after a long 4th of July weekend, That's all you it's got. much needed. Well, well I'm, I'm trying to recover slowly, so I guess I didn't learn my lesson this weekend judging by these bush lights sitting on the table. So, uh, As I said in the opening here, you you had reached out to this gentleman and, and made the introduction to him. And for those of you who don't know, um, the the gentleman joining us tonight, he's he's absolutely one of the most successful anglers to ever be on the FLW tour. He's had countless top ten finishes. He's won Angler of the Year several times. He's he's made a name for himself by being himself. And everyone in the bass fish, fishing industry can agree that if anything more than a conversation you get out with Andy. Then a smile, you just you just ain't living right because he's just that kind of guy. He can make anybody <laughs> smile in any group, and uh, I tell you what, we sure are ha- glad to have you here. So, Andy Morgan, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors. <laughs> Much obliged, man. I appreciate that. It was all too nice. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get, by the end of the show, you'll probably be saying, boys, I'm going to have to go. i got to get off here. you talk my doggone ears off. <laughs> Oh, you never know. <laughs> well, Andy, you know, for those of you in the, in the bass fishing world, they know who you are. But just tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, and, and what they may not, something they may not know about you that they don't get to see on TV. Well, I mean, of course, I grew up in Dayton, Tennessee, been there my whole life. And uh, and all I've ever wanted to do was fish for a living, you know, when I was a kid. And, and lo and behold, you know, that I, I've been able to do that. But my, I guess my, my biggest passion is hunting. And, and I guess probably started waterfowl hunting. Uh, of course, back when I was a little kid, we, you know, fishing was pretty good. And of course we were big into fishing, but the waterfowl hunting, uh, duck hunting in general was, was my biggest passion. And that kind of grew into deer hunting, but hunting is, is my thing. That's how I, that's how I get back to ground zero and just like come off the year where September one through pretty much the end of January, I do nothing but hunt and just, I get reset and refocused and ready to go fishing the next year because 
Boys, let me tell you this bass fishing, bass fishing for a living, pretty dang stressful if you let it, uh, <laughs> if you're trying to make money doing it and you, and you got to make it work out. So you need a good reset and hunting's my gig. Now, when you were, when you were starting out as a tournament bass fisherman, you probably started on Southern lakes fishing for spots and, and maybe some small mouse around Tennessee and stuff and, and largemouth fisheries. What was it like going to those places up North? Like, I, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know, going up to New York, uh, or, or over into the great lakes. What was that like for you? There's a big change, man. Uh, I mean, growing up where I did right there, just out of Chattanooga, you know, days just North of Chattanooga grew up on Lake Chickamauga, the Tennessee river. But luckily, you know, Two and a half hours or so, any direction you go from my house, you can get to some world-class fishing. I can be to Lanier in a little over two hours. Watch out, man, boys. That's a plug right there. That's a Georgia <laughs> lake. <laughs> well, it's world-class spotted bass fishing, man. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of the top of the heap. Then you go to Del Hollow, top of the heap on smallmouth, on giant smallmouth. And, of course, the Tennessee River is world-famous for largemouth. So I was lucky to grow up where I did. And... You know, but you're still, you're talking Southern fisheries right there. And it was a great, it was a learning experience to go up north and fish. Dude, they beat my head in up there many times before I caught on to, it was actually really simple. Well, you for, could do things up there and power fish the way you like. And I've done well up there in the past, but also I've took it on the chin pretty good in some of these lakes where you really had to finesse like a, uh, say we're going to Arkansas to Beaver Lake where you go to the Highland Net Reservoirs if the fishing's really tough, the water's really clear hated going to beaver lake absolutely hated it with a passion probably turned out with that was my only terror win was the walmart open one two hundred one thousand dollars in one <laughs> lick out there changed my whole career on a place i absolutely hated to go it was beaver lake in hell you didn't know which one you you know you're kind of dog. You know what I, mean? I mean it it was awful but it became one of my favorite lakes and i guess i won more money and not just the 201,000, dude, I piled it up on Beaver Lake after that. It taught me, probably taught me more about bass fishing than uh, than anything going was that lake right there. I had I had to learn different things. I had no choice. When you started going to those other lakes, and uh, it was getting out on big bodies of water then. It wasn't a lake you mm-hmm. could see halfway across. You go to somewhere mm-hmm. like Erie or, or, or uh, I don't don't know what all the lakes up there are. That's pitiful. Geography wasn't my strong suit. <laughs> so, boys, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But when you got on well, those yeah. big bodies of water, how scary was it getting in five to seven foot seas in a, in a bass boat? Dude, let me tell you, I went to Okeechobee in 1996. I left the house. I was a kid, pretty much. I left the house and went to Lake Okeechobee. I had a 20-foot bullet with a Yamaha on it, a diesel truck with two tanks on it, and it was 98 cents a gallon. I could fill that sucker up with two tanks and go all the way to Okeechobee. So you're talking a pretty good time ago. Let me tell you also. There was no GPS, boys. There was <laughs> no map book on your boat. There was hey. You had a Rand McNally Atlas to get you to where you were going. And once you got to the lake, you had a compass. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. And you'd get out in that sucker, and it ain't nothing but a big old swamp. Hey, it was a, it was a deal to figure out how to get back home. <laughs> how, and so, I bet that was, and, and you said that was a challenge, but I, how, how did you find fish there? I mean, you, I mean, and I guess that's a question for a lot of people that don't know. You go to a new lake, you just go to chunking and winding and hope something bites, or do you, you got a plan in mind, I no, guess, a little bit? No, not, not, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that you're full of it. But, yeah, that's kind of how you do find them. But, I mean, you go by seasonal patterns. Where should they be? You've got an idea. Right. You know what I mean? You've got an idea. You you know, if you're going to these lakes and fishing a tournament, you've probably got some experience. So, you know, should they be spawning? What's the water temperature? You know, is it fall? Is it summer? Is it spring? You've kind of got an idea what to look for. And back then, you know, you could run into somebody. You could ask them any more. You know, in the MLF, you, I mean, we can't get any information at all. So, oh, y'all, y'all don't trade, y'all don't trade info at all on on MLF then. We can, we can't angler to angler. I can't give you an exact location. I can't say, Hey, I just called them over here at Star Point Marina. You need to go in there and fish the boat slips. I can't tell you that. Right. Angler to angler, but I could say, Hey, I caught some fish off marinas today. Well, what, Lake Lanier, there's 20 of them? <laughs> yeah, at least. So it's not very specific, you know, but, but no, we can't trade information uh, other than pretty, you know, wide open like that. But back used to, you could ask somebody, you know, hey, how are you catching them or how are they catching them? But let me tell you, back then, they wouldn't tell you. Yeah, well, I bet not. They didn't want to give up what oh, little bit no. of info they figured out. <laughs> hell no, because it was hard to get. And they would, you know, if you ask somebody fishing information back then, Hey, dude, how'd you catch that big bag there? So you weighed in 20 pounds. Well, you just made that man lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> made a liar out of a friend real quick. You well, you, you didn't give him a choice. It was almost disrespectful to ask somebody how they caught him. Man, I was, way I was raised up, you didn't ask nobody nothing. You know, uh-uh, don't you ask that man that. <laughs> did it uh did it happen to uh did it happen to change a lot for you with electronics when they came along and, and that whole scheme came about? Oh, huge dude. That was that's a big deal, man. That's what's changed the whole industry. That's what's changed how we fish and how we catch fish anymore. Absolutely. It's a trail okay. Deer hunting world, it's a trail camera. Okay. All I mean, right. Did, that did makes sense. You, boy, did it change how you deer hunt? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yes, sir. Same deal. With well, the live scope nowadays, that's a cell camera when you roll it to the deer world. Was it was it a advantageous thing for you? And and I, I assume you grew up like we did, no. out farming and things <laughs> like this. Was it something that was a struggle for you or did you take to it pretty easy? No, I hate it. No, what? I hated it. I I don't hate it anymore, I should say, because I know it's inevitable. And I've got to learn it and do it. It's, it, dude. I'm like any guy that that's any person in America. If once you get a little age on you, you hate change. You you don't like nothing. Right. You don't like nothing. You don't even like that the coffee shops out of business in town. You got to go somewhere somewhere else to eat you some biscuits and gravy. Nobody likes change. But guess what? You got to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, get on. Get, get get dance with the lady that brung you till she can't dance no more. And that's what that's what I'm doing, boys. <laughs> you know what this this bass fishing reminds me of of going into professional bass fishing or whatever. It's kind of like goes back to us turkey hunting or deer hunting out of state. We hunt these same old yep. woods, our same old lives, and we want to see something else. So we've got it on yep. that on that mentality of hey, get in the boat and go somewhere, try a different lake, you know, try it's a new exciting. hunting spot, try a new state. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it's and, exciting. It's fun. And, and the challenge, I mean, that's that's what we're driven for is a challenge. 
we're always chasing the challenge. I like catch fish, though, Nick. I'd rather go over here to this <laughs> doggone 550-acre private lake. I know I can go to that third dock on the left and pitch. and might be a four-pounder laying there, or I can go to Lanier and say, well, well, they might be on the brush, but they might be in 60 foot of water on the back 30. I'm going to have to go up here and run a while. And, and I just, I like catching fish. I don't guess I'm at, because back even when we were doing our tournament fishing, we had a little old club and a lot of the boys that listened to the show, they'll remember it. My cousin Derek and I ran it and we would go and there'd be 25 boats show up and we thought we was living in high cotton. Couldn't weigh the fish on the wa- on the land, had to weigh them on the water because way permitting and everything worked. But somebody would pull up with a, a sack of five fish and you might have 15 pounds. Well, that's a three-pound average in the south. That's doing pretty good. And then some feller that we didn't hardly know would pull up with 25 pounds and have five <laughs> good largemouth. And I'm like, where in the world did you find those fish? And that's just the challenge <laughs> and the fun of – being able to chase fish, you hit the nail on the head, and I've never thought about that like that, that you go out of state yeah. to chase big deer. You go chase them big smallmouth up north, That's too. Right. Yeah, you do, man, and it, it is a challenge. It's new ground. It's exciting because every place that you go that day, you've never been before. That's right. I mean, you know what I mean? So you guys go, say so you try uh, draw a Kansas tag, and every time you step out of the truck, say so you're just hunting public ground. Boys, that's pretty exciting because you're in the land of giants, you know? Let me ask that's you, what's around the corner. What's me, behind that cedar tree? Who knows? Let me ask you this question, Andy. I'm going to use one of your friends as an example. Uh, Gerald Swindle, I saw a video recently with him, and they were asking him what when he knew he wanted to be a professional bass fisherman, he said he was working for his uncle and cut the, cut the handle off of his framing hammer. And told his uncle or his, or his brother, he said, I'm not, coming back, I'm not coming back to work here. I'm going to be a professional bass fisherman. Where was Cut it that? off with the skills off. Yeah, where was that moment for you? I've always knew it, man. I, I, I've, I've told that a few times. When I was just a kid and we first started bass fishing tournaments, I don't know, I was 10, 11 years old, something like that. And I just knew then that that's what I'm going to do for a living. And I'd watch, I'd watch Bassmasters with old Bob Cobb and stuff. And anytime you could watch it, it was on TNN back then. Roland Martin, the whole bunch, they were on TNN. That was a big deal. Uh, so I'd watch that show all the time and I'd look at these guys catching fish around the reeds and the cattails at Okeechobee and they'd be on Lanier catching them around boat dogs, spotted bass. And I'm like, I can do that. You know, I'll figure that out one of these days. And that's all I've ever wanted to do. And really I worked for my mom and dad. We had a plumbing and electrical supply business in town and I worked in there. I don't know quite a bit, but they would let me off and let me fish tournaments. So I fished tournaments. I, I made up high school fishing, okay? I I fished all through high school. I fished every Saturday and typically Sunday was when the Red Man tournaments were back then. I fished a tournament almost every weekend unless it was in the wintertime and out of season. That's how I made everything I've ever made was tournament winnings. Even then, I can pretty much paid my own way, you know, and bought boats, trucks. Now, my mom and dad helped me in the beginning. Don't get me wrong. But after that, I really didn't have to ask for any gas money or anything extra. I won enough money. I was a pretty savvy kid, dude. I wasn't normal. I ran around with people a lot older than me. I didn't do things that all the other kids done. I mean, I was a pretty good athlete. I could play baseball, basketball, football. That wasn't too big a deal for me. I just I didn't want to because it took away what I wanted to do, which was hunt fish. That's all I've ever wanted to do. When you were starting out, 
you know, and for, for anybody who's listening to this is, that's been a bass fisherman, whether you was doing it professionally or just fishing on weekends or through the week for fun, you had that one bait that you could grab and you could catch fish and your confidence built in that bait. What was that bait for you when you first got going, Andy? You know, it was probably uh, probably a flipping stick, flipping something, a jig or a piece of plastic, which was a worm back then. Uh, or that could be a spinner bait too. We's all we that's all we had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't think of it. I mean, but yeah. even still, that may be what y'all all you had then. Well, that was in the nineties when we was still in, you know, elementary, middle school coming up. Today, when I go to Lanier, guess what's going to be tied on to one of my rods? It's going to be a shaky head with a green pumpkin shaky tail worm or something dipped a little bit, and that's what we still fish with today. That's correct. Fish bite worms, man. <laughs> that'll, never, that'll never change. Well, with that being said, are you a, do you like to – I don't know the uh, – terminology for a bass fisherman do you like to fish fast or you are you so finesse or power are you yeah, a yeah. finesse power. or power <laughs> oh dude i'm all power son <laughs> does that does that transfer over to deer hunting too do you like to stay mobile deer hunting yes yep yeah i do sense. that's that's the way i like to roll dude i i like i like to sit where they're walking and i like to fish where they're biting so <laughs> Whoa. I like to go on the fly. <laughs> Pump your brakes, boys. <laughs> Andy Morgan dropping knowledge. Fish where they're walking, <laughs> or hunt where they're walking, and fish where they're biting. I like That's that. It. I'm going to write That's that down. Game. <laughs> I'll tell you the best The best uh, quote, Derek. His, uh, Alex's cousin, he's a big bass fisherman. I used to fish with him a lot. And one of the best things, funniest things, we were out one night fishing a little night tournament on a Friday night, and I was back there messing around with something. Had I think I was fishing a jig or something. <laughs> I said, I think I got a bite. He said, well, it ain't got no hands jerking. <laughs> I used to tell them boys I'd take fishing with me. Hook sets are free, son. You think you got a bite, right. jerk his lips off because it ain't going to come back. That's what I always say. You have somebody back there drawing down. Well, I think he's got it. Well, son, he ain't got it in his pocket. Jerk. He's got it <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. Well, what a – what let me tell, let me tell real quick, real quick about Andy. Andy had that – they had a hunting show, and, and forgive me for I don't know the name of it. You ever been riding down the road, seeing a piece of property that you couldn't live without, or maybe just wanted to sell your own land? Give our boy Cal Hardy with Whitetail Properties a call, 770-296-2163, day or night, or check him out on Facebook. Andy. Um, the hit list. The hit list, that's right. And it yep. was him and Gerald Swindle, and again, the other guy's name. Chad Ritter. Chad Ritter. Mm-hmm. They had a hunting show, and and I wasn't really a bass fisherman, but from watching them, man, and if anybody knows you and anybody knows Gerald Swindle, that 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 was going to be a hoot of a good time. So let's go. Let's let's kick off some deer hunting. We're right here. Uh, well, before you before you go into okay. deer hunting, we got one more question that came okay. in from Adam Brister. He said, "What's the oldest bait you keep in your boat that is still a player in the right tournament situation today?" That's a- a jig, hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. I figured that was. I don't. I mean, it's like a, it's like a security blanket for a baby. I don't go. I don't care what I'm doing. My jigs are in my boat. It doesn't. I don't never. I never take them out ever. Do you like a? Do you like a a, a weedless jig or do you fish them? You know, with just a skirt yeah. or yeah. Well, there's so many ways. Yeah, there's so many ways you can fish them. You can swim them. You can fish them on the bottom. You can skip them under docks. I mean, it's just you know. It's there's it's endless at what you can do with one of them. So that's why it's so important that I keep them in there. 
and it's my favorite way to catch one. If I can catch one on anything, of course, what I do for a living, I got to catch, you know, I got to fish what they're biting, get the most bites. That's right. Once they get to biting a jig, I really, I really like to lean, lean on that thing pretty hard. Boy, I bet it's hell on a power fisherman when he's got to start drop shotting in 60 foot of water, <laughs> dropping a worm down, let it sink. Oh my God, it's demoralizing, I'm telling you. It's, uh, <laughs> but I do it, man, and I don't tell it a lot, but I've won thousands and thousands of dollars on a freaking, on a sticky head worm. shot too, but I can, uh, I can do that. I just don't like to. I'm kind of like old Quigley. Remember that old, that old movie, Matthew Quigley? He had he liked that old long gun, but he could use them pistols. That's kind of like me. I can, I can use the pistols when I have to. I just don't practice doing it. That's one of those necessity things. I see in my top five favorite movie I've ever watched in my life, Andy, quickly down under. <laughs> he said, how far away was he? Three quarters of a mile. He said, how far was the report? Three or four <laughs> seconds. And that old boy's eyes got big then. <laughs> Andy, before, before we get on deer hunting. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up since we're still on bass fishing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, Alex, just stay calm. I'm going to turn my mic off. Stay calm. We're going, we're going to get down a little rabbit <laughs> hole here. We, we brought this question up here the other day on the podcast, and we had a lot of feedback from it. But, Andy, tell us what you think about them uh, wake boats. The, oh, hell. <laughs> well, <laughs> Here's here's my biggest deal with them, but boys, I've grown up on this Tennessee River my whole life, okay? And it ain't just, I ain't going to blame it totally on the wake boats, but that's pretty bad. Anything that's throwing a wake that's three and a half foot tall, dude, it washes, I've watched islands from when I was a kid, even in the last 15 years, I've washed, I've watched it wash away, those waves off of those big boats, wash away more cover, more habitat on that riverbank than anything in my whole lifetime. I'm telling you, they devastate, devastate those riverbanks. It is unbelievable at the damage that they do. And my biggest thing with the whole thing is they don't chip in. They don't kick in. They don't, they don't kick in hunting, fishing license, money to take care of the resource and the habitat. They just use it up. And that, and that really pisses me off because there's lots of them out there anymore. I think everybody ought to chip in. If we're going to use the resource, let's everybody fairly chip in. You know? I mean, is that fair enough? You, and, e- you're echoing my sentiment. You are echoing sentiments here, Andy. So keep <laughs> on talking, son. You, you well, pr- I've, got, look, I've got buddies that's got these big boats. They're great people. I love them. Don't get me wrong. I love everybody except they're using the resource. But you need to kick in. Yeah, and I haven't thought about it's a lot like hikers, people riding horses, biking people. They don't buy a hunting license to ride on that WMA. But you can bet nope. they've got a trail through there that they can ride through. A parking mm-hmm. fee of six dollars goes to pay the man that's walking the toll box there and fixing that ramp. It ain't going to work on the river and fixing the channels uh-huh. and everything else. Now I do think Go ahead. Andy. And you can bet your ass, you know who I know who's paying for it is you and me. That's right. That's right. A hundred percent. Well, I will say this. I think the state of Georgia did uh, implement some kind of charge for hikers like on Dawson Forest. So I think they do have to pay like some type of hikers fee. But yes, the resource, I've never thought about that for a lake. That only only thing they're paying is that boat slip at the 
at the ramp. And I'm not. And you might have a ramp fee. You might have a ramp fee so you can put your boat in to use right, that resource. Right, right. But those are but on I private mean, property. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're just kind of, well, they're not guaranteeing. But a lot of those ramps you pay at, they're pretty much saying, well, probably nobody's going to break into your stuff. And we're going to give you a nice place to put in and a parking spot. That's so, right. You know, that's all you get. But, I mean, shoot, boy, since covid and all of this stuff is really broke loose in the outdoors. It's a busy place in the outdoors anymore. Fishing, hunt, especially turkey hunting and fishing really took a hit. And it all falls. And you guys know this as well as me. All the heat and all the pressure falls on the resource. 100%. That's where it lands. 100%. And so if you're not chipping in and you're taking from that and you're not chipping in and kicking back, I mean, it, how long is it going to last? Well, after that show aired that we that Nick's talking about where we brought up the wake boats, and it was a grind your gears moment for me because I used to fish in a 16-foot, it was actually 15-foot nine, bass boat. And I would yeah. get out there, and I would try to go through the week. I would go early, that way before the party boats and everything got out, and I would stay in a creek. I'd put in in some creek that was up away from what I would think everything would be. And it never failed that there would be somebody in one of these big wake boats come up through there. Now, they make a pass. All right, cool. You go up the creek, you come out of the creek. But they would stay inside of that creek and go back All and day. forth and Yo, back yeah. and forth. And you just couldn't enjoy it. And now I'm not – I've said all along when I said that statement at the end of it, I listened to myself back because I thought, boy, I'm going to sound like a real jerk when I put this out there. But what I was trying to put into play is – Think about what you're doing to somebody else out there. You're more than welcome to use that resource just like I am, but like 100%. you said, protect it and contribute to it. Because I can promise you there's probably more party boats, pontoon boats, wake boats, jet skiers throwing trash in the water than there'll ever be fishermen. I could guarantee you that, son. There's okay. no doubt about that. I don't see how there hasn't been some kind of pretty big rigmarole about private landowners in those that those huge waves i mean i'm not i don't live on the lake but if i had a dock down there i mean beat dude, them to death oh my god because they're so big i i get you're not ever going to dodge boat wakes boat wakes are boat wakes typically they're not that big yeah my boat hardly makes a wake you know i mean you're running down through there 60 miles an hour so you're not really throwing a wake dude unless you're getting up on pad or sitting down you're not throwing much of a wake but an intentional wake I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, dude. That's that's just it's very damaging. Let, you're responsible for that. It me, says it. If you're in a no wake zone, you are responsible. I believe in the state of Alabama, it's oh, you got to be 50 feet or 100 feet away from a dock. But the law reads you are responsible for your wake. Yep. So, let me ask you: as you're talking about habitat, like being ruined by a wake boat, have you noticed the fish patterns have changed? from over the years that you fish these different lakes going deeper or going somewhere else? Yep, 100%. It washes the brush away. It washes those shelves Mm -hmm. away. It destroys everything. There's places I could catch fish 10 years ago that I could go back to now. You look at structure, and it's a shell wall there where it was a rock. I mean, a rock point that came out 30, 45 feet. There ain't no rock point now. It's a rock wall that drops straight off. Mm Mm-hmm. And you got to look, too. I mean, everybody out there on this resource that's using this body of water, if you're in a boat, you're throwing away. Yeah. So you are, you are, everybody's a road. I don't care if you come by in a canoe. 
you're throwing a one-inch away. It's eroding the bank. Now, at a much slower pace, just with these huge boats and these wake boats, and et cetera, I ain't going to blame it all on the wake boats. Oh, no, but no. everybody that's out there, in the, and like I said, COVID's drove this. Yeah. It's just eroding at a faster pace. I've seen it in my lifetime, islands that are completely gone, that now I'm throwing a crankbait on, and they're a hard spot is all it is. Just like you said, it's a shell, it's a hard spot. Because it's four feet deep on top of them anymore. They're gone. <laughs> so I'm just seeing this go faster and faster and faster and faster. You can see all this disappearing. And, you know, what you do about it, I don't know. Kick in. And that's all I say. Plant cypress trees. Plant whatever you got to plant around the riverbanks, et cetera, to stop this erosion. Yeah. They did it in farming. Yeah. It's what? CRP? CRP? WRP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, here uh, we can kind of kind of spin that into the next conversation and, and going into deer hunting because it, it's just as bad for um, the the bikes and the things that have changed the the course of it. There's places that we hunted here ten fifteen years ago that you can't even deer hunt at now because there's bike trails there, and they've yeah, they right. build them well. I core a core of engineers permit that I pulled and paid my $50 for that bike guy didn't have to pay it. And so well, there's gotta yeah, be some balance there. there. Well, that's politicians for us. We go, but we can really you, get on it. But you know what to say that they done a, we got a bike place here close to us. It's a little bit blankets, south of it. Yeah. Blankets Creek. And they had, was it supposedly a deer attack a lady walking? Yeah. Wasn't that yeah, the case? Yeah. So now it's infested with deer and they, they had people draw, do a draw system, come in there and take them out. And luckily, they let the local hunters. They didn't get snipers in there, right? Um, well, they tried it, and I, and I don't think it was too successful on them. Why they done it the way they done? I understand because of the local outpouring of oh, we don't want to lose the deer. We love seeing the deer. Well, when they eat all their uh, chrysanthemums up in the, in the spring, and they're mad about that, then they're wanting all the deer killed. Kill them all. I want them done. They're eating my garden. Okay. Kill them all. Exactly. It's it's not fair. It's not fair at all. Well, I got to ask one question before we go into the deer hunting talk because we got to talk deer hunting. We got to talk. Deer hunting. That's guys coming up strong, but we kind of ask questions throughout the show, and one that came to mind for me, Andy, and while we're on fishing, you got one last cast in your life. Where are you going, and who's going to be with you in the boat? <laughs> well, I wouldn't have to go far from the house. Uh, I mean, I'd sit right there on Chickamauga. There's no doubt. And I'd probably have to have my dad with me. One last cast. I love it. I, mean, I love it. That's where it all began for me. When y'all was going back in the day, was y'all was y'all throwing bait casters or was it just spinning reels for you? Nice bait casters, yeah. Uh I didn't learn how to I throw one of them live grown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had spinning rods and whatnot. Didn't use them all that much unless we went out, you know, uh early winter or something like that. But we didn't have deer, you know, back when I was coming up 10, 11, 12 years old, very, very few deer. So we didn't deer hunt. I didn't deer hunt till I was oh, 12 or 13. So when I was seven, eight, 10 years old, like I say, we fished a little more up toward the winter to, and, you know, until duck season opened up. Well, So yeah, we had a little bit of everything, but we were mostly, you know, kind of springtime, early summer power fishing. Well, you're, you have a farm there in Tennessee, correct? We do. Is that where you primarily deer hunt at, or you travel out of state still? 
man, I travel. We travel all over. I've I've been in Nebraska for twenty years, and I've been Iowa and Illinois and the the Dakotas and just everywhere. Kentucky. I've I've deer hunted a lot of places. Do you like and chasing we, those I Midwest feel, deer more than the South deer? Well, I do. I do. I mean, it, they're just a. I mean, they're just a bigger deer. Period. You know, a five-year-old buck in the Midwest, he's just a lot bigger. He's got a bigger, you know, set of horns. He's a bigger deer than what we got in the South. And end management's been going on out there a little longer, so you tend to have more older bucks. There's a lot less of a gun season. So you run into more mature bucks out there and less timber. I mean, they're just, honest to God, they're just a lot easier to hunt. What's the big southern boy that grew up in the pines, you know. <laughs> there you go. Deer, we can figure out how to kill them things, you know, generally pretty good. What's the biggest correlation between fishing and hunting for you, Andy? What what Structure. do you put together? Structure, okay. Mm-hmm. It's hundred percent. It's all the same. Bow hunting deer and uh, fishing is really, really uh, close together. Really keen. Well, I'll tell you what. If y'all listen to this, you ain't got your notebook out. You better get it because Andy Morgan's bringing the heat. He is bringing the knowledge. He may not. He may not be bringing all the details, but he's giving y'all a little taste of what's going on out there. Yeah, we skip a few. How many times have we talked about that though? as being the one proponent of success when we deer hunt is structure and it's habitat. And when you get into a place that's tied in that bedding, get in the cover, when the pressure's on, it's the same way for fishing. When the pressure's Absolutely. on, the deer's going to run high. When the pressure's on, the fish going to run high too. That's right. That's right. It's how they migrate. It's how they feed. It's how they move about at any time. It's got, I mean, it's a direct correlation to structure, 100%. A whitetail buck. He does it, don't even know he's doing it. Right. I mean, you can't. I don't care for how many scrapes are right over here, how many rubs. There's a, it's a big trail. Well, I'm talking to rut primarily, but when you see all this deer sign, but there's a fence line over there 50 yards, or there's a field edge, or there's a ditch line, or whatever, you still, I mean, you've got to add that into the equation. You don't ever, ever ignore a piece of structure that something can walk down and generally will regardless of what's over there as far as tracks and scrapes you just you got to play you got to have that in range <laughs> you got to have all that in range logging road fence line ditch line you just got to make sure you can shoot to that because he's uh he's going to walk structure a lot of times like i said he don't even know what he's doing but that's what he's doing are y'all still doing any film work for for deer hunting i, I do some not not a lot I film some for Levi Morgan. Me and Levi hunt together all over the country a lot. And I do, I don't know, a couple of shows or a show or two a year with him for bow life. And uh, we hunt leases that we have together and et cetera. So that's always fun. You got a nose button, one of them Bowmar nose buttons on your bow? Absolutely. (laughs) There you go. Get that plug in. So, so everybody, so all the listeners do know, and I, and I learned this today too. You and, you and, uh, um levi are not kin we are uh, not kin you guys just met through a show and we, uh, uh it's kind of weird and, and his dad is named mark and so is mine but we are not kin we met at um uh, oh what is that shot show in vegas several years ago and uh we got to talking fishing i invited him down fishing and we've been we've been hunting and fishing together ever since and that's been going on mm, about 10 years i guess what, what was the what was one of the biggest pieces of advice he helped you with on um are you thinking about buying or selling land in this crazy real estate market 
give our boy Zach Bobo a call. He's a full-service real estate company that services all of North Georgia, and they've been ranked number one for all your buying, selling, or investing needs for three years running. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Zach Bobo Real Estate or online at ZachBobo.com. Any archer equipment, if you ever had any. Oh, I've heard he's pretty good. I've heard he's pretty good shot behind a bow. He's decent. He's decent. Dude, he's helped me, and I and I could fairly say one thing: he's helped me from the ground floor, from target panic shooting the index finger release all the way to where I'm a decent archer. Am I good? No. He's the archer, and those guys that do that for a living in a profession are unbelievable. But the knowledge these guys have on equipment and how to properly use it, I mean, from A to Z, dude, they, he's helped me tremendously. I mean, it's its having him that I can just pick up the phone and go, okay, I'm doing this, and him give me the answer, and it's the correct answer, It's that's been a really big deal. And that's helped my shooting just leaps and bounds. Well, and it's, he's taught me out of that, that yeah, I'm, I'm totally shooting a hand release anymore, so... I would have never thought I would have done that, but, you know, here I am. Well, so we'll speak on this real quick because you kind of told me this earlier. You told me that you – and I don't know if he helped you with this or you figured this out yourself, but you kind of mentioned something along the lines that you didn't have correct form when you are shooting your bow. Is it, was that correct? Yeah. No. I mean, no. I, I mean, I target panic. I didn't know it. I mean, and look, boys, I've killed – I've killed over 200 deer with a bow. I've killed a bunch of stuff with a bow and arrow. And I killed a bunch of that stuff with target panic. I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't kill stuff, and I was a, I was a good shot. Mm-hmm. But with the hinge release and et cetera and some flaws that I had, I mean, it, I, I corrected it pretty easy, but only with his advice and him showing me, like, no, 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 you got to do it like this. This is how you do this properly. And knowing that and somebody that tells you that that you know is – it's got the the credentials and the credibility to tell you that he is the best in the world. You listen more, obviously, and you take what he says, and and it works. I mean, it's it's just proven. I got over target panic. I, no, I shouldn't say that. Nobody's ever totally over target. You just got that stuff in remission. It's always there, but you you find ways around it. And he's really really helped me do that. That's that's for sure. And it helps you do as far as hunting, not just shooting a target, but hunting. You make cleaner kills. There's no question about that. Well, they just so everybody knows that's listening to this. You guys have a podcast. It's called On the Line Podcast. You guys we have do. you guys have an episode on there with Levi, and Levi breaks down everything about target panic. So if you're if you're struggling with that, go over and listen to it. Levi covers everything possibly, and and, and again, the hinge is like one of the biggest things that he continues to bring up. And I think yeah, on is. that he podcast, he said, he said he said he set his thumb release down for tournament shooting and went back to that. I believe it, it's well, good if you're not you, you talked about suffering from target panic you might not even know you got it yeah no. and you could listen to that episode i listened to it and i thought oh, that's pretty interesting point right there that i hadn't thought about you know and, and you get something from that you do you do 99.9 percent of the people that shoot an index finger release have a form of target panic mm-hmm but yeah, whether I mean, it's punching no the trigger down. whether it's a you know uh you're if you pull a shot out of if you shoot one Bad shot out of five, you've got to form a target panic in you some way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying you can't, I mean, drive nails at 100 yards. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you jump on that trick. 
There's no question about it. I mean, and you can shoot well like that, but but at some point it's going to explode. I mean, you, but it's going to jump out at, the, at a really bad time. And typically, hunting, as soon as that pin gets on the brown, son, I mean, you're, you've cut her loose. <laughs> you're right. I mean, anytime you're doing a drive-by or trying to raise your bow or lower your bow, yes, it's it's if you can't hold it steady on there, you got it. You got it. Well, and I think something that you and I haven't thought about this until right now that Nick and I have been shooting bows at the house since the the mid two thousands. And you told me something one time. Well, I'm drawing a figure eight on there. That was a form of target painting sure. for you. And I always was yep. like, well, I don't know if I I just want to put that pin there when I when I see it, I'm touching. And for mm-hmm. me, I like shooting the finger release because I'm comfortable with it. But it goes back to what I asked him earlier about uh, uh, fishing and what bait he gets comfortable with. When you get confidence in something, and a lot of that has to do with practice and, and just getting confidence. I've killed my deer using a finger release. You've killed yes. deer shooting at them with a different kind of release. And I think that's all you build your confidence up. And like he said, you put it in remission and on the back burner. Well, you think about this. I can kill a deer with my 30 out six. Yeah. You know, but I don't go out here and practice every day. But if I did, it'd make me a better shot. Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I was a I was a terrible shot with a rifle. And, and Cody sitting over here is one of the best shots I've ever been around. Now, he didn't necessarily practice more than I did, but he had a better system and a better yes. strategy of shooting than absolutely. I did. And even though I was taught a certain way to shoot, mm-hmm. I may have not had the best system to kill a deer or a coyote or whatever it may be that I was shooting at. So I took a lot of things that he said, and I would ask him, that's a pretty good shot you just made there. How'd you get that right there? You know, or how'd that work out? But I think through the conversations, it's not necessarily fixing an issue. It's making you aware that you may have an issue. Oh, yeah. That's correct. That's right. I guess very, it goes into fi- I guess it goes into fishing too because I could be well, standing out there pitching does. a worm all day and you're like, look, Alex, you got to quit quit throwing that worm in thirty <laughs> foot of water. It's taking it forever. You ain't even letting it get to the bottom. Pick up that spinner well, bait and chunk and wind them in it. It it depends on how good you want to be. Yep. I mean, really, I mean, how good do you want to shoot your rifle? You want to be able a thousand yard capability? The equipment will do it anymore. So will your bow. Your bow's like, I'll never shoot 100 yards. Well, your equipment will do it. I ain't saying you got to kill a deer at 100 yards, but I'm saying you can shoot a softball-sized group at 100. Your equipment will do it. So how good do you want to be? How far do you want to take it? But I mean, if you can catch a fine to hunt with target panic. It really is. Thousands, I mean, 99% of the people probably do. And they kill them, man. They pile them up. Don't get me wrong. If you catch but, a fish in 60 foot of water, because you practice setting the hook in 60 foot of water. If I kill a deer at 40 yards, it's probably because I practiced at 60. Absolutely. 100%. Let me, it just makes you better. It makes you a better outdoorsman. It makes you more confident. And and Levi really preaches this, and he's 100% right. I didn't shoot my bow that much before season years ago because it wasn't that fun. I can only get so many good shots to where you're spraying them around a little bit. But once you figure out how to how to get a clean release, how to hold the pin in the middle, and that arrow actually hits where you're looking, I, I mean, consistently, hey, it's pretty fun. 
<laughs> let, let me ask you this, and and I think he's kind of I thought I think Levi's kind of talked about this on there. And Cody, I'm kind of calling you out here a little bit. Don't take no offense to it, but a lot of people are very good archers in just their backyard shooting at a block target. But when yeah. they get out in the woods, what changes for them? And is that going back to that hinge release being better too? Because I think a lot of people that we talk to have that problem. Like you said, they just pull up, they see brown. And shoot it, but they're out here in the yard. They're just looking at a block target at thirty, forty yards, whatever. It's not no, moving. Two inch dot. Yeah, it's not moving. That remission. Yeah. That remission. You had it kind of. You had it beat back. Like I'm gonna hold it right there. I'm gonna get right here. I've got a slow. I'm slow breathing. I'm resting good. The lighting's perfect. Boom. Trigger that release. I'm right in the middle. Well, here comes a hundred sixty inch ten pointer chasing the doe in there. He bounds in there. You're jumping up. He stops behind the bush. You draw. You let down. Uh, He's back now. He's 20 yards. You broadside. You draw back. And as soon as you might not even look through the peep side, I've done it. I've done, I've no. done it before. <laughs> hey, things are crashing down. All your hope, your mind is going every time the pin gets close. It's going, shoot, fire, shoot, go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're fighting that because all you can, all you can do is like, I can just see that arrow hitting that deer right behind the shoulder. But shoot, dude. <laughs> Andy, were it's you? Everything's crashing down at once. So that target panic—he's right in front of you now. He's—he's he's jumped out of the bushes. He's between you and your buck, and that causes a lot of people to make bad shots, miss the deer, wound the deer, and and hey, it ruin your deer season. Everybody's been there. Were you with me last year in, in Illinois? <laughs> yeah, you're sitting. You rose. You filming Cody in Illinois last year? You just painted that scenario perfect. I had to pat him on the back over here and calm him down a little bit. Hey, I wasn't on that trip, boys, but I've been on several. <laughs> and it don't that that's happened. And I was the guy with the bow. I know it. I, I, I think. I think that goes back because. I'm a decent shot and, yes, and, and a the, great yes, shot. Yeah, you're a good but shot. But when I get in the woods and I think a big, and I'm not afraid to admit this too, I haven't been put in the opportunity to shoot a lot of big deer and stuff like that. So I think until you build your confidence and go, when that deer walks in, Alex, like you say, when that deer walks in, you go, that deer's dead. You until got you to can have that confidence and, and be in those situations multiple times. It's yep. just like whether you're confident with your bow, you're confident. You got to be confident in the deer stand in the moment, and that just takes years and years of being. You think about catching a big bass off bed. If you spot mm-hmm. a hoss mama laying on the bed, you have to have the confidence in your mind that you're going to make that right pitch and land mm-hmm. it in that right spot. Just like what you said. If you, I, I have done that. And I've been like, I ain't wasting no more time here when that next cast could have been the one that got up there and got it caught. But I have had an opportunity to shoot at some good deer. And if you're not in those opportunities, right. you don't, that, that makes but a lot how of do sense. You, how do you practice to shoot a live animal? Get off the couch, son. Or some I, mindset. I, a, I, I think it's that, a but, mindset. But I get that. So are you shooting different angles? Are you getting up in a stand? Are you going to the hinge release to, to slow yourself down to make it harder? But I think I think it's all about, all right, let, let's paint a picture here. There's a, a deer you have on camera. Let's just say it's a great buck here in Georgia because we hunt more in Georgia. You know without a shadow of a doubt if that deer walks in at this point, at this yardage, I can kill that deer. Do you sit there for three or four hours painting that perfect picture in your mind? Or do you sit there on your phone 
for three or four hours playing Facebook or, or, you know, doing that stuff. And for me, I go through those moments in my head. Now, it never really paints that perfect picture that it's going to come in at that moment. But I think if you consistently put it in your mind that I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. You're dead. When I see it, I want to see that deer. I don't want to watch him for 30, 45 minutes walk in a field because then I'm in all pieces. I'm like, this is not going well. This is not what I wanted. I want him to surprise me. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's kind of like catching a big bass. You want to set that hook where you can't see it. You know, I mean, and that's, that's, I, well, I'll touch on that too because two years ago when I killed that buck um, Mm -hmm. in Canton, I had it on camera, like clockwork, every day. I knew my stand location. I knew where the deer was going to be. 13 yards. I knew I was going to have to shoot sitting down because of my stand location. Went home. Caden can attest to this. Sat on a five-gallon bucket in the in the yard, shot sideways. Group, yep. group, group, group. Deer came in opening weekend. Laced him. I mean, yeah, just perfect. I mean, perfect. I mean, just, but how do you practice for that when you go to Illinois? I, I don't you know, know. And you know, you don't know where that deer, so I think it's just situational. Shoot does. That's what I say. I do say. I, <laughs> there you go. I will say I this. I going to bring that up. Go ahead. Think, there ain't but one way to get good at killing. Killing. <laughs> killing it's makes it. killers, yeah. yeah. Killing makes killing. I mean, killers, yeah, it makes killers. Killing makes killers. And and you got to, I mean, you got to do that. Years of experience teaches you and just, and, and you know when to paint. You know when that picture's painted. You know what I mean? You know when some, when one walks in there and gets right, you got it. You don't mess that up very often. Right. But sometimes they come in there, like I said, they're chasing a doe and everything goes to pieces. You're yeah. drawn back for 30 seconds. You're in a bind. I mean, you, you've got to know when not to shoot, but also you got to know when you're not going to get another opportunity. Right. So that's all spinning in your mind. As a hunter, that's spinning in your mind constantly. I mean, you're wanting to jump on the first opportunity you can to kill that deer. And really, that's right. You need to shoot him then, but you need to do it correctly. So you've got to go through your mind. You've got to dig in there, and you've got to paint that mental picture that this is right. But also it's got to go, I'm not going to say autopilot because autopilot will lie to you sometimes. You, It's got to be ingrained in there where you don't have to struggle to pull it out. And that's where that hinge release has really helped me tremendously. It slows me down just enough for that all those thoughts to get lined up to where you're like, oh, yeah, I've got longer than what I think typically. And it slows you down enough that it makes you aim. Well, and that's that thing that you've got to do you've got to aim you've got to aim small you, you know it's not going to work out you're not shooting a shotgun you know you're you're slinging an arrow and what, it's got to hit your mark or you're not killing it what hinge release are you using andy man i've got it's it, i've got a dozen, <laughs> I feel you. A dozen. I feel you. and i i don't <laughs> i don't shoot any of them just all the time i guess i've killed as as many, I guess, Levi, that when he worked for, uh, was it True Fire? He had that, what did he come out with? The Seer? Yeah. That was one of my favorite ones. And also there's one from a, a Scott release. Uh, and I can't remember that. The heck? What the name of that was. No, it wasn't that one. It's an older one. Uh, God, I don't know. I'll think of it in a minute. But yeah, <laughs> but it was a Scott Angel. All of them have a click. And it's, you know. It's, it's changing for me. When you kill one with that, and look, 
It takes some freaking kahunas to load that sucker up and take it hunting. Trust me. I've killed a lot of deer, and I killed several big ones with an index finger release. And to leave that sucker in the truck and take that hinge, it takes some balls, boys, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy, there was a friend of mine, he gave me a, a long, It was. it's been probably 10, 15 years ago, he gave me a, a hinge release, and it had a piece of like rope on it. I don't even know who made it. And you had to take the l- rope and, and loop it around your string yes. and pull yes. it back. And it had no... No safety. If you didn't pull it back correctly, you had a broke nose, everything. And, yep. and I don't remember that. I could never shoot it. It was too much. That's me. the one that got you down in the basement, ain't it? No, this is a different one. This is long before that one. That one in the basement actually had a safety and still got me. <laughs> I've done that too, man. I've been, I'm busting myself in the teeth more than once. you got to want to shoot one of them suckers to make it work out. What's, yeah, a, it's, what's it's your biggest buck to date? Oh, one ninety six. God Almighty, doggone! Yeah. What great state mm-hmm. did that come from? That was Nebraska. Okay. That was wow. Two 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 thousand eighteen. Yeah, two thousand eighteen. That's yep. a, that old sleeper state in Nebraska. Bow or gun? It's got some good ones. It's got some good ones. I mean, there. It's I always call it. It's kind of like Pope and Young Heaven. I mean, there's a ton of that. One twenty five to one fifty bucks. Anything over that is not just, you know, they're not everywhere by any means anywhere, but we, you know, you might see one of those a year, two of those a year that might be over like a 150 or 160. But this one is, I killed, I never saw one before or since like the 196. I'll put it that way. And I've been there, this will be the 19th year, I believe. When, you know what I just heard, Nick? Mr. 130 is going in Nebraska. So if they're, if they're 125 to 150, that 130 mark, I'm going to put on that real tree, son, and I'm going to climb tall, and I am going to kill something in Nebraska. That's all I just heard. There'll be 100 people up there from Georgia now to Nebraska. Yeah, everybody and their brother is going to be calling, hey, buddy, I ain't never even seen a 125-inch deer. But you saw the same thing that we saw coming up through Tennessee, hunting in the south. My God, it was tough. I mean, it was tough. Yeah, huh? It is tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is tough. But you, yeah. you have an opportunity to kill a 130, 140 inch deer in North Georgia now. You can do it. Mm-hmm. It is here. Oh, yeah. And the same thing yeah. comes to Tennessee. Exactly. People are more educated now. A lot of and that's one thing. A lot of hunting TV and podcasts and et cetera. It's educated people and made it okay to let a buck go, let him grow. If you want to kill a bigger one. You got to, you got to let them live, man. Shoot you some does and you don't have to overmanage your does. Shoot you what you want to eat. Manage your herd correctly. Don't overshoot them. Let your bucks grow and you'll have a good one to shoot. I mean, you may not every year, maybe every two years you got a good one to shoot, but eventually you're going to see one that you let go. That's grown up to be pretty nice. And a lot of people are doing that. Just some, I mean, heck boys, we're much old rednecks. We're doing it. That's right. That's right. You I know heard what I mean. I heard Don Higgins say on a podcast the other day that everyone wants to kill a two hundred inch deer, mm-hmm. but not everyone wants to let a hundred eighty inch deer walk. That's a fact. And that's I I, I'm not going to. I'm not letting one that big walk. And I and I've let it said walk it closer. Yeah, let it walk closer. Yeah, exactly. Go. But that's that's the mentality that these guys that are consistently killing deer over 200 inches. Now I may fall into one one day, but I, Lord, but if the Lord blesses me with one like that, boys, I might be ready for that elk hunt. It's trip, whatever. <laughs> it's whatever challenge you want to set yourself to. 
you yeah. know, you yeah. know, somebody that ain't never killed a buck will be happy with a six pointer. You know, it's whatever his challenge is, he's going to set that bar every year to a different yes. level. I agree. I, but boys and I've killed you. I don't know what kind of trucks y'all drive, but you couldn't haul the year and a half and two and a half year old buck. Right there. You couldn't haul them without having to stop throwing back up on the truck. I like it. it. Yes, full. sir. There we go. I heard it from the man. <laughs> yes. I piled them up, son. There ain't no doubt with a bow and arrow. I ain't shot that many with a gun. It was all a bow deal for me. But as you, as you grow and as you go places, you're like, man, <laughs> I want to kill something bigger. And, and a lot of hunters nowadays are in that position. The whitetail has done really good in the U.S. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, look at the Seek One boys. They're doing pretty good down there in Cobb County. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, right, mean, they're they, just south of us. <laughs> yes. I mean, a whitetail, he's everywhere. And if you give him some time to mature, he will. He'll survive as long as, you know, everybody's not shooting him with a gun for like Tennessee's pretty rough. Like we got sixty days you can bust him with a gun. Sixty Man, days, we got three and a half months. So we got three yeah. and a half months of it. I mean <laughs> But the that's, thing that's tough. You, and you made you made mention of us, you know, killing deer as we come up. But the biggest thing for for what I've seen over the years is them old hardcore hunters that got horn happy and busted the first one that came through the woods. <laughs> God love them, but they about all quit hunting. I mean, really, the, the old guys that they just, I mean, they hammered on deer because they loved the chase. And a lot of us, it, it, even with the podcasts and the shows and the things, we kind of lost faith in that. And yes. my uncle said something a few years ago, and he, and he made this come to fruition. He said, boys, I'm killing the biggest buck out of everybody this year. Out of our group, I'm going to kill the biggest one. And we was in Iowa. He shot a... 40-inch six-pointer. <laughs> and on Wednesday when we was coming home, guess what the only horns in the truck was? 40-inch six-pointer. That 40-inch <laughs> six-pointer. And we got yeah. home. Me and my dad talked about this, that we got home and we took, you know, we I can't believe, you know, we said, I can't believe he shot that deer, this, that, and the other. We got to the, to the end of that hunt, and he and I were just talking, and my dad said something, and it always stuck with me. He said, you know, he said, we helped your uncle load that deer up. He said, that might be the last deer we ever get to help him load up. You, you bet you, son. So, don't ever forget that kind of stuff. I, I'm I'm with you. I don't belittle anybody or shame them because they shot a little deer. You know what? That's what they wanted to shoot. That's Ain't right. none of my business what they shot. I might, I might grip my teeth and go, gosh, dog, it, that jump fence went over and he blasted him. Oh, well, <laughs> he wasn't mine anyway. <laughs> well, and I no, think that's the, that's what's wrong. Or, or, and I think it's made a turn in the last few years. And things like what we talk about on here and, and not tooting our own horn by any stretch. But if a guy listens to this show and he says, and every week I tell him not to shoot a 60-inch deer, eventually that guy's only going to see 60 inch deer he's gonna get fed up with going hunting he's gonna quit i mean that's 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 the bottom line and if they quit it's gonna hurt for the next generation because they ain't gonna let it and if you belittle a kid or or a grown man i don't care if it's they're six or 60 for shooting what made him happy well to hell with you i mean sorry (laughs) but that's the way i feel i'm the same way i I, keely my daughter was going hunting with my dad one after she was i don't know she's about 10 year old 11 years Ah, she's older now she's 11 or 12 years old they were going to the mountain up there to hunt dad's farm gun season 
and they's easing out the door. He said, I'm going to put her over in the, in the big field, in the big stand. And she eased out the door. She, he goes, nah, I believe I'll just let her sit over with me. And I said, all right, that's fine. And I said, now, Keely, make sure it's a pretty good one when he comes out. Don't shoot no little. And he goes, hey, Hawks, uh, she's going with me. And we're going to shoot whatever in the hell we want to shoot. <laughs> so if a spot comes out there and she, she cuts him in two, I don't want to hear nothing from you. I said, I just give him the thumbs up. I said, I got it, Pop. <laughs> <laughs> old Pops might need to come down here and visit with us in Georgia. He'd get along with some of these old boys around here. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. And he made it real clear. Don't be, uh-uh. Don't be, don't be throwing that on me, son. He said, we're going to shoot what we want to shoot. Oh, Got that's it. hilarious. <laughs> well, Andy, it. Andy, as we're kind of, uh, no, winding got, up. Oh, you I got guess, one yeah, more. Yeah, okay. I got, I got some, I got a little bit more. In the okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're getting a little long here. I know you probably got to get to dinner or something with your wife. But ain't no big hurry. Let's, let's touch on turkey hunting real quick. Uh, well, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go to the bathroom, Nick. <laughs> what do you, uh, how's the turkey population in your, in your hometown there? Declining bad yep, and yep. You, it's, it's, it's bad enough anyway i don't know we've been on a bad are you in need of forestry mulching tree services hauling grading and excavation in the southeast well give our buddy logan severa a call with lrs land services you can head over to facebook instagram and check out his work or give him a call at 404-889-1105 stop putting off clearing that back for you and give our boy a call. Out. Oh, God, Nick, probably going on five years that we've had to manage ourselves as far as we know better than to shoot a limited turkey. You know what I mean? It's one of these deals. We've And I've got a lot of places to hunt. I've got a couple thousand acres at least, probably more than that, that I can hunt. And thank goodness for trail cameras and et cetera, we try to monitor how many gobblers that we got and how many that we can actually hunt and kill. And we're we've really cut back on our turkey killing it just because we've had to properties that you could go in and kill a limit of turkeys and never hurt them those days are over for us i mean we're having to go into big farms and i got 1400 acres in one county over there and i'd have it dude it, you could go it was like a dove shoot you could go over and kill a dozen off of it wouldn't <laughs> hurt it next year dozen more next year dozen more and you just quit you know like all right we, we ain't gonna hunt anymore now <laughs> You might have a dozen turkeys on the whole place, and you kill four of them, and you're like, okay, that's enough. No more. Scared to shoot any any more turkeys. And yeah. it's been like that. Like I said, it's going on five years probably now that we've had to do that. Do you, think, uh, do you think this COVID had a big problem with that, or you think it was long before that for you guys? It was before. Oh, it was happening before that. COVID didn't help it any. Uh, you know, they, they got ripped during COVID. Don't get me wrong. And, and, but that was a good season also. We had great weather. The springs were, it was a springtime. It was warm. You had green early, so you could hunt. You could call them. You could maneuver. And uh, there's a lot of turkeys killed. And this past spring was, I mean, it was like the year of no gobbles. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was, they just didn't talk much this spring. We did good. Uh, we killed several, but we really had to bounce around. We really had to manage. And, uh, we had to hunt. We killed most of them, shoot, 12 to 2 o'clock because the birds just didn't work very good. You kind of had to wait them out and get in front of them and fan them and decoy them, which, you know, I don't know how everybody likes that. It's super effective, and I ain't so sure that we should even do it. 
for that matter. We don't, yeah, let's don't get it's on a that. Big so, right it's now, a big topic right now. Yeah, that's that. a big topic, boys. That's a big one. So, I don't know. We just well, Everybody needs to look where their wild turkey population is. And I, I can tell you in Tennessee, where I live, it ain't good. Well, Tennessee just went from three to two, correct? Correct. And no fanning on, no reaping, fanning, whatever you want to call it, on public land. Correct. So, um, that's probably more of a safety thing than a yeah, turkey decline. I think thing. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I think that's a good idea. There's more turkey hunters and there's more inexperienced hunters. And uh, you're packing around a fan or a turkey decoy, you're, you're asking for it. I know lots of people that's been shot turkey hunting, personally. Probably four or five different people I know that's been shot. Now, how you could shoot somebody, I don't know. But they got shot. It was all on public land, too. You're asking for it on public land. That's your that's your own stupidity if you're fanning and reaping yeah. on public land. Yeah, that's 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 not a good gig. I wouldn't do it. There's no way. No, no. Um. I guess that's it for turkey. Let y'all got. Do you have a do you have a favorite state out of or out of state turkey hunting? Man, I don't go much of anywhere. I've been, I guess, turkey hunting. The only place I've ever been out of state is Kentucky. Okay, probably. Okay. Yeah. Now does Levi yeah, get to come down and turkey hunt with you? Man, when he comes to my house, he's going fishing. He wouldn't <laughs> shoot a turkey. The only way he'd kill a turkey was standing on the front of the boat, and he needed to get up there and make a catch. <laughs> That's Alex's kind of man right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I can't believe yeah, he don't turkey. He'd bust him, son. He'd bust him for that. Now, he's a good turkey hunter. He could just care less about it. I'll be dang. I figured I figured he'd be slaying them with a bow. I, oh, no. I asked you. I told him one year. I said, hey, dude, bring your bow. It was the first. I mean, it was one of them turkey seasons. It was good. We had a lot of birds. I said, hey, bring your bow. We'll go out here and get my you know, get in the woods, and I got four or five food plots, got several gobble, kill one with a bow. He said, Hoss, if I come down there to kill a turkey, which I'm not going to, but if I did, I'm going to blow him in two with a shotgun. I ain't shooting him with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Even better. So oh, you, yeah. Are you still full-time fishing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how yep. does how does that uh, – dumb to quit. <laughs> <laughs> how, t- how does that – uh? Let's say you got a big old buck on camera, but you got a tournament coming up. I guess the the money. I guess the money outweighs the horns, don't it? Never. No hell no. Oh, really? oh yeah, I'm my man. Uh, uh-uh. no, dude. When it comes November, and we've had some stuff scheduled in November before, I said just count me out, guys. I ain't going. <laughs> that. That's. I was gonna ask that question. How he balanced them? He done it just like I used to. When beer season's in, boys, the rods is hung up. It's over, boys. It's over. I said that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. Have a bass tournament in November. No, no, sacrilegious stuff. I ain't happening for me. Andy Morgan, I, you I'm, might I'm just serious. have became my favorite personality in the fishing <laughs> and hunting world. You, you have made me grin from ear to ear tonight. <laughs> if favorite- well, look here. Here's the way I look at it. I, I can go fish another bass tournament. Some There's going to be another one somewhere, probably the next weekend or the next month or whatever it is. You can't get back 2022, November the 1st through November the 12th. You can't mm. get that back. You're so right. for 2022, you just missed out if you ain't there. Dropping knowledge. Boys. Gave me cold chills right there. <laughs> I'm telling I'm about you, that one I'm that first you. through the 12th. Woo. Son, what you talking about? Holy grail, baby. Yeah. Favorite month to bass fish? Oh, April. Ooh, I was going to say May. I was going to say May. <laughs> and May's it, pretty good now. May's a good one, but I've always been fond of April. I like it when they're spawning. 
those old big and i call it the bass rut they're all up there chasing around then you know so is it because uh, well i guess april for me may was always better top water and that's what i i love to fish top water i mean that's when yeah, i'm going to catch month them right, and i said right. well they ain't no like i can tell you right now going fishing only one time now i'm gonna say this brock turner when you hear this podcast because i know you listen don't kill me but i've only been fishing one time and it's the seventh month of 2022 oh lord brock's gonna break my legs when he hears me say that because he's been wanting to go but it just there you talk about november and people that are fired up about deer hunting and you know me nicholas i'm as big a deer hunter as anybody is but that may top water bite when you can pull up at the ramp and you hear they're popping the top, boys. We're going to catch him today. I'm going to walk at Sammy like a dog, son. Sideways to sideways. <laughs> it's fixing to be on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I love I love April. I mean, you got turkeys gobbling, you got fish spawning. It's just spring is typically there. You know, you're getting those first days in the 70s, may bump 80 here and there. The lows are getting up there into the, you know, the 50s, low 60s. And just a fun time of year. Just life is good in April. That's when I like to fish. It ain't too cold, ain't too hot, fair weather, you know. That's right. Well, that doggone going in February, I learned my lesson on that. Cables freezing up on boats and everything else. That's just too oh, yeah. cold for me. And I and I know y'all fish a lot around that time frame, and y'all catch a lot well, of big fish deep. That's the time, boys. If you're going to catch a super big one, it's it's the time to do it. It's that February, March. That pre pre spawn when they're first moving up. That's when that's when those big ones are catchable. You know, so they're they're moving up there in water that you, you, you can get to them in typically, and that's when it goes down. And they're at their biggest. They're, they're all swelled up with eggs, and they're healthy. They, you know, typically fed up really good in the winter, and uh, that's the time to catch a giant. On these, on these high schools now, Andy, they got these bass tournaments, whatever. Are you going around and speaking at any of these or helping these guys out in any way? Man, I, I – give some stuff to some of these kids that i know up there around the house and stuff uh-huh. i'll donate some stuff but honestly i stay so freaking busy gotcha. with tournaments and hunting stuff that i'm gone constantly or i'm working on something constantly so i don't have a lot of holes in the schedule and you know of course you know i've, I've got a family too so we do things and hang out and hunt and you know we we stay busy man anymore you just stay busier and busier, and that's America, you know, in general. You just there's a lot of stuff going on, and to keep ahead and, and caught up, even you just you got to hustle, man. You just do. You got to hustle. I'm sure you wish that high school bass fishing was around back in your day, don't you? Man, I don't think so. I really? think I've done better than me being the lone wolf doing that. Okay, okay, makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I had to. I think that's what made me so competitive early on and done early, you know, in my early in my career as a young man because i always ran around with older people and my learning curve was pretty good because once you were inside that circle those old guys would tell you stuff when you was a kid right right Uh, so you know that's kind of you know i cut my teeth there and i was fishing against grown adults i wasn't fishing against high schoolers right so i had to i had to be pretty good early on or out of business one or the other andy morgan if you've got one piece of advice that you would give to somebody in the outdoors in general or in life for that matter, what would that piece of advice be? Something you've heard in your time? Oh man, you know, 
say making a living in the outdoors, you know how many times I get that question. How do you make a living in, in generally fishing? How do you make a living fishing? How do you become successful? And I've always said, I've said this for a long time. I said, man, there's a couple things you got to have sunscreen and a raincoat. <laughs> and you, and you got to go out there and dive in and take it on the chin. You're going to get whooped. You're going to lose. You're going to win. But you have to go figure it out on your own. You can watch all the YouTube you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you can stand. And until you get out there and hustle up and get sun sunburnt and a little wet from here, you know, here and there, you that's that's the way you got to do it. You've got to go figure it out on your own. That's the only way to do it. It's the process, boys, is what's the tough. The outcome, everybody can see that outcome. But what the interesting part is, and the part that's blank is the process, and that's what you got to learn. The road to get there. That's it, man. It's all about the process. That's awesome, Andy. I got one last question, but I want to personally thank you for uh, taking my message and, and be willing to come on here and talking to me this morning and having this good chat this afternoon. We'll go around the table and everybody will tell you goodbyes. But um, last question from me, what are you most thankful for? Oh, my goodness. What am I most thankful for? You know, my family, my time. Uh, the, I mean, I'm 50 years old now. And what I've seen and what I've got to experience and, you know, and your relationship with the Lord and your family. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty strong, boys. And, and in a day's end, that's all you got. Make that relationship strong. Have some faith. Love your family. Work hard. Amen, brother. Good Amen. And again, thank you so much, fellas. Yeah, Andy, yes, I appreciate sir. you uh, taking time away from your beach trip to come talk to us. I've really enjoyed it. I really have. You've uh, you've kept a smile on our faces, that's for sure. So you're welcome back <laughs> well, anytime. Anytime you you'll have us or put up. Sure with enough, us. boys. I appreciate it. It's good talking to you guys, and you saved me from having to go out on the beach this afternoon. And I owe you one for that. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Andy, uh, you know, as as we wind this thing up, and and Nicholas said it best, if we come down to our final spit, really our first final spit in, in the new studio we've got here. Family, friends, and the outdoors and real tree fishing is across your chest in, in the you know in a lot of the things people see in MLF, and I think you exemplify a lot of what we experience as we go through whether it's life in the outdoors or life in general. We've got to remember that road that led us to where we're at, and in the end of it all, we got to be thankful and just smile. And I don't think there's been a time that anyone has seen you, whether it's in public or on TV, that you weren't smiling. And I can only imagine when you wake up in the morning, you're you're smiling as you're drinking coffee, and when you lay down at night and thank the good Lord for letting you live another day, you're smiling then as well. So I definitely appreciate that, and uh, I hope sometime in the future it might be when you get slowed down and retire you come down here and visit these old georgia boys and see us for a minute <laughs> sure enough boys i really enjoyed it and thanks for having me and we'll do it again well everybody andy morgan if you want to check him out go over and make sure uh, to see him on mlf he's a fisherman from all over the world he fishes in a big bad bullet boat for real tree fishing throwing them zoom baits and he might even throw a strike king spinnerbait on a loose fishing rod if you holler at him close enough he's a bow hunter he's a duck hunter and he's a great friend to talk about it outdoors for the future and we want to remind you to smile as you go but don't forget mount the memories building the foundation of your life starts at the base and the stronger it is the better 
Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need? Or is your construction site needing a dumpster? Give our buddy Tony at Georgia Junk and Dumpster Rental a call. With services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs, Georgia Junk is here to help with any and all removal needs. If it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside, Tony and his team can surely assist. Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Jones. 